0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 301. Today is Sunday the 4th of November 2018, and this interview with Jack Kreindler. Jack's a doctor, technologist, and investor. He's also the founder of the Centre for Health and Human Performance, based in London, as well as being the founder, chairman, and chief medical officer of Centrion, working to finally make remote patient management an affordable and effective reality for patients, payers, and providers alike. Also of note, he's the co-founder of Weird and Wonderful, building bridges across life sciences and creative arts. In this sprawling conversation with polymath Jack, we discuss how we can learn more about our own health and cure cancer, studying high performance and extreme athletes. We learn about how Jack manages and collaborates across large multidisciplinary teams to pave trails, as well as what technologies excite him. Divinely intriguing. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Dr. Jack Kreindler, great to have you on the show. Um, You are a a fantastic example of being a a phenomenal serial entrepreneur. You're a doctor. Uh, You also are a start-upper, keen technologist, and you have an eye on the future for us, which is wonderful of what we're going to be talking about today. Great to have you on the show, Jack. So tell us in your own words who you are, because you are a man of many things.
1: Well, first of all, Minst, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, well, well, by way of background, I've been a qualified practicing physician and physiologist for 20 years and a geek for 30, (laughs) um, paying my way through medical school doing uh, stuff in the world of computer science and mainly uh, working uh, in, in the kind of interface between machines and and humans so so effectively, how is it that what we learn from, from from data and and analytics how can we use that in our human world uh so so my first job whilst I was still at medical school was actually with Douglas Adams, you know the guy who wrote the Hitchhiker 's Guide sure. and I was responsible for designing the human computer interface for the first wikipedia which wow. was hitch which was hitchhiker's dot dot com um h uh, two g two dot com as, as sure. many people m- might have remembered uh ended up in the bbc sadly as opposed to becoming wikipedia but there you go um but sure. it was incredible and, uh, and and that kind of helped me understand how information information technology was going to completely change the profession that i was uh, going to embark on and um and so i've spent the last uh, 20 years um effectively using uh, information informatics data data science and and technology to transform the very profession i trained in um and some people might say even disrupt it
0: a little <laughs> i surely so uh, what you, are, I mean, really, what I understood from what you're doing, especially in your primary role, is learning how top athletes. You can, what you can learn from the way that they, their body works, that we can bring into people like me, normal people.
1: Ah, well, Minter, that's you. That's you self-describing yourself as normal, which we would have to uh, qualify. <laughs> right. um, so yes, I uh, became very interested in human performance science uh, really ever since I uh, became interested in climbing mountains and skiing down things that really we ought not to. Um, so, uh, you know, what is it that helps people get up Everest and survive? Uh, equally what is it that helps a very sick cancer patient survive um, when otherwise you wouldn't expect them to either surgery or long term um, throughout you know arduous years of treatment so 2007 i started my institute in london this is after not after a successful career in medicine Um, it was after many lucky exits in tech in my tech stuff and so the center for health and human performance which uh, was founded in 2007 is is now my medical home and there we apply elite human performance science, the stuff that basically helps us get up Everest without oxygen and survive those surgeries um, to not only help athletes, people like you, people like me that are effectively in very high pressure environments as well, we're traveling a lot, we're thinking a lot, we're not sleeping enough, we're doing all of those things that are aging us rapidly. Uh, but the third category of people is, in fact, cancer patients. So we apply this human performance science and a lot of the data that drives that is uh, helps us to adapt what we're doing continually rather than just making an assumption and treating somebody for five, ten years um, and applying that, yeah, to, to um, not only to athletes, but also to people like you and me, and very sick cancer patients.
0: So if I'm not Usain Bolt, um, and I have this very sophisticated, well-trained body that's able to perform at at extreme levels, how do you transfer the body skills that he has, per se, or the elements that have made him Mm. that kind of individual into the normal people? normal
1: yeah we are all we are all normal in fact very normal people can also be surprised by how much they can do if your profession is to run 100 meters very uh, very fast you will appear to the rest of the world as abnormal <laughs> or special or a superhuman but in fact It's not all down to genetics. It is also down to what you do with your body, how you fuel it, how you train it, how you rest it, how your mind approaches uh, the world and how your mind can sometimes muck things up um, with excessive stress and so on. So the real secret ingredients of elite sports science, elite sports performance, elite performance in general, um, it's not just about taking a superhuman. It's about looking at what we do with these apparent, um, you know, (laughs) X-Men. Um, and helping people like you and me absolutely optimize for um, how we think, so how we manage stress, what we eat, how we build that into our bodies as as, uh, as substrates and how we burn that as fuel, um, how we sleep and recover. Uh, and m- more importantly than all, probably all of those, if you're Usain Bolt, Bolt how you use the body physically to actually adapt um, to the environment that you're training in, that you're running through, that you're swimming across or climbing up.
0: Right. So in, in sports, one hears things like the top, what makes the difference between the very top playing in the football league and the people in the lower ranks is their ability to get over mistakes. The difference between a number one, a Roger Federer, and the number 100 in the ATP is basically they had nothing to do technical, although mm. we could argue that too. Yeah. How does one appropriate that into our lives then? What what of the mentality, what are the things that we can partially at least bring into what we do? How, what kinds of discoveries have you got and maybe tips you can give us? It's a really interesting point. And in fact, I was just in Los Angeles the other day listening to an incredible
1: speaker talking about the difference between, you know, so-called super performers, super survivors, super um, beings <laughs> and and the folk who basically, even despite knowing they've got to change, let's say, their behaviours to do with their health, um, and they've got the data to do it. So they've got motivation, data, money, time, and everything. Why is it that some people are able to achieve things and some people aren't? And in fact, why are certain companies or governments or societies able to change things and others can't? And it's a really interesting point, which we know intuitively, but not many people have actually described um, explicitly and that ultimately boils down to one thing embracing failure it is something that we do quite commonly um, when we're developing software as we're expecting things to break to learn from it we now you know have agile software development methodologies where we chuck something out of the market we see who likes it who doesn't we learn we uh, you know in machine learning for instance um, absolutely relies on failure so does the kid who's trying to learn how to walk with right. its neural network. Um, and effectively, that's the difference is that instead of kind of forcing people into a, forcing people into a virtuous cycle of um, you've got, you know, you've got to change. Um, here's what you're doing. Here's how great you are. Here's sort of positive reinforcement and feedback. And the real world in the real world, we fail. And the problem with some of our behavioral kind of um, metaphors is that failure is something to be afraid of, to be ashamed of. Mm. And actually, the top performing teams, Formula One drivers, uh, um, people like you who are successful, possibly people like me on occasion, um, is that we don't care about the shame of failing. We want to fail because we look at that as a point to learn from. And that, we know, is the ultimate thing that makes us
0: succeed it makes me think of this notion of best practices people in companies seeking to find the answer to the better results look over look over the shoulder see other companies oh that's how they do it Oh, let's do the same mm. and and yet really it should be actually best mistakes
1: yeah, absolutely and, and <laughs> you, 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 you own i mean it's actually it's actually really clever uh, <laughs> because the best companies all look like they're stunning successes Mm -hmm. when in fact you look under the surface of it and you realize what a i don't want to say this on a podcast but a cluster you know what i'm going to say (laughs) a lot of the stuff is and it's really the ability to survive through the failures that creates amazing companies and i mean we can name so many of them um you know, for instance, perhaps one of the most interesting companies that I've seen um, come out of nothing uh, was Headspace. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started off as an idea for Vandy uh, Puderkin. You know, the, right. uh, the 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 the, the Englishman with his incredible voice. He's a he's a dear friend of mine, and, and you know, he started off um, effectively wanting to build some classes, some real you know where he could spread the word about what he'd learned for 10 years in a in a a temple and and want to take his robes off and teach everybody in classes Mm. one-to-one right that's not not, that's not going to that's not going to scale to become uh, effectively the democratization and uh, the ability to make the world a better place Mm. Uh, and and then you know the but years of doing that and almost breaking but persisting Um, adapting, learning, and then eventually finding that sweet spot. The folk that find the sweet spot without trying are absolute flukes. Everything else in nature pretty well relies on learning from failure um, and enjoying the success without worrying about the next failure. In fact, waiting for it. At
0: some level, it's it's about the success through the failure because then you've got the hard work. And thinking about Andy Puddycombe, another woman uh, who who does guided meditation is Monique Rhodes. These are Westerners bringing a lot of what I would call Eastern thinking to our world. It seems odd with all the data that seems to be available that we aren't all meditating do you do you let's say first of all can you give us your slant on the benefits of meditation as part of the mindset shift and, and creating that good way of dealing with leadership in business do you validate that and maybe do you have a statistic that you can help us out with on that just to help the rationally minded people to get get through and and change
1: i i, I wish i were an expert on meditation i'm not uh, I, andy said to me Wake up. First thing you do, sit in the end of your bed and
0: listen to my voice.
1: You've got, <laughs> five you know, minutes. The, the, um, there's, but,
0: there's Sam Harris. Now his wake up with Sam Harris. I don't know if his podcast, but he now does some guided meditation yeah. as well. So another word. If you want another choice, wake up with Sam Harris. I mean, I'm waking up with all sorts of men uh,
1: <laughs> th- 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 throughout throughout the week. Um, uh, no, um, I. I mean, you learn how to do it, obviously, without the, the, the guidance um, in, in the end. But uh, neurologically, it's very important to try and reset your brain. And in fact, doing it earlier in the day before all of the uh, issues build up to actually get your mind to sort of work um, in a uncluttered way and then clutter it more and more rather than clutter it at the beginning and then try to undo okay. it um, is possibly the easiest thing. But, uh, you know, just going back to Going back to your point about Eastern thinking, if you think about some of those ancient symbols, it's not just about light and birds flying and things. I mean, you look at the kind of the, the symbol of, of, of yin and yang, for instance, you know, the, the success or the the light side doesn't exist without the dark oh, side. And I think meditation, if you want my sort of view on it, is... Not only about mindfulness and clearing the mind to be able to think, if you want to put it neurologically, to sort of uh, disinhibit those those barriers between different parts of the brain and let the brain flow a little bit like how um, serotonin agonists and psychedelics appear to work, which is another whole podcast, I'm sure. But that's uh, yeah. um, But um, the the whole point about it for me as well is having the mind in the right kind of space to be able to reflect And reflection comes back to our earlier point about failure being a key to success. And reflection is something that we don't do a lot of, we don't do enough of. We perhaps did more of when in the old days the world believed in God or gods and we, we sort of reflected on our good things and our bad things we kind of we're superheroes now we're we're you know m- millennial bubblists who mm. uh, believe that only right can happen and i think that sometimes we can look back at some of these ancient ways of thinking mm. um to our advantage both as individuals but also you know as organizations whether it's a startup or it's a government
0: my daughter asked me about confession the other day N- neither of us is worrying i'm entirely atheistic otherwise But it does seem that the opportunity to confess your sins, to be able to talk about your dark side, anyway, the things you've done wrong, is something that's more difficult in our perfect society. Thinking of the individuals, because you obviously work with a lot of these high-performing athletes who are scaling credible mountains and so on, or thinking about people in high leadership positions, oftentimes one will will conclude that in order to get to the top, you have to be a dick. Or at least you have a bad side to you. The the number of examples are legion about the bad side, the dark side of these individuals. From your experience, looking at athletes and or top leaders, do you believe that you can be good and good? Hmm. I don't think you need to be a dick.
1: I mean, I think that's, the, that's one of the things which, you, you know, we, for, we forgave, actually, um, especially in the 80s and 90s and maybe you know until actually quite recently that it was okay to just be an ass sometimes yeah. in order to succeed and that is that is something that's never sat quite well with me I think failure is different to um, negativity there's a difference there there is there is there is obviously a, a selfish side and a you know benevolent side to everybody um, but I I think in general that it is quite different from failure. You can, by accident, tread on people and end up making mistakes, making enemies. But that's not an excuse for not reflecting on it Um, and 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 to and to sort of repair those bonds and build relationships and and so on. I think we live in a slightly different world, you know, we have the the me too memes and and, and stuff. I think that is actually those are all very very good things. Those are those are steps for me towards a higher sort of state of collective consciousness uh, where it doesn't mean there are there are any less uh, any fewer mistakes, but that I think in general there is fewer periods of purposeful darkness that we almost used to forgive in especially in business
0: at some level there's a this notion of intentionality but if the intention says well all i'm trying to do is succeed the way you get to the success the intentions within the way as opposed to the intention of the success are important
1: yeah i mean you know the people are talking about this with things as as far out as general artificial intelligence as you know like, like we, we the the existential risk folk who are kind of saying well you know you want if you give a value function to a machine that doesn't care how it gets there, it just needs to uh, make paperclips, um, as as Nick Bostrom um, would would say, it will do anything, including wiping out the planet, to to make paperclips better and faster. Um, so I, I actually think fundamentally we've got to look at what are uh, the most um, collectively. Beneficial value functions um, when we're building, uh, whether it's a company or a machine that, that that does things, or whether it's our own life, it is really, really important. I think to to not just have a singular goal, but it's the it's it's what you do in the process of getting to that goal that is very important. I mean. You can think about it. I mean, hey, this is like a very, very awesome podcast, but a very weird one because (laughs) we're talking about some heavy stuff here. But, you know, for instance, let's get water to everybody that possibly can, um, that we possibly can uh, to on the planet. uh, And then we end up with a plastic crisis. So, so, Mm. you know, it's let's make things that make life easier for people. uh, And then those things end up just mm, causing rubbish. junk um, mm-hmm. let's let's uh, travel let's make travel possible for everybody. Well, these are all fantastic things, and then we have more cars and uh, you know producing mm-hmm. CO2 and, and let's give everybody burgers, and we end up with methane it's not a case of purposefully doing stuff, but we fail to reflect early enough, mm-hmm. and then what we do is we backtrack. After we've created industries that are apparently doing good according to those sort of endpoint values or, or goals that we have, um, so what do we? What can I say from that? Every athlete that's a bit that has the ability to achieve amazing things is checking in on their progress an awful lot more often, looking at what's working and what's not. Exactly the same as if you're treating cancer. If your end goal is to eliminate the cancer, just bleach, blitz everything you're going to get massive toxicity along the way and you won't care for what's happening to the patient as much in between. But if we're in high-frequency way seeing what's happening to the patient. Is it working? Is it not? Are we failing? Are we succeeding? Just like developing software, we end up having more shots at goal, pivoting, persisting, all of that lovely juicy stuff, less toxicity, better goals. You know, that's the sort of the, the goal of the next generation of, of cancer and other complex disease therapies. The, the list goes on. It's a fundamental thing that we do very, very well in elite sport that we that we ought to look at and say, look, we achieve great things from from this why don't we put it into other places um, throughout business and, and our own lives?
0: When you, look, when, you, when, you, when you and I were talking before, I understood that athletes' bodies' ability to deal with extreme disease as well, or you know, important diseases like cancer, their bodies may approach the disease better. I, I was wondering if you can comment on that. And also, I mean, there's a belief that I have that sometimes the way you are, causes the diseases and i wonder because you you work so much with cancer to what extent if i have malevolent thoughts that can be part of how i get a cancer Hmm. well
1: i i think you know it's funny one one of my dearest uh um, mentors uh he said once i remember we walked in and um to, to a clinic and and a lady left the room and he said um I haven't biopsied her yet, but this is cancer. And I said, uh, why do you say that, Mr. Wilson? And he said, because she's a terribly nice person. And that was an interesting one. It's like somehow his engrams after 40 years of practicing medicine just knew something about um, possibly. And why is that, though? You know, why is it that I mean, I've seen people who have malevolent thoughts who end up uh, living till they're 100. I've seen people with negative, you know, living generally for themselves and, uh, you know, living life to the full, sex, drugs, rock and roll, um, dying early. And vice versa, great people who've ended up, uh, you know, getting cancer uh, um, uh, and and those who have just lived it great and done yoga and kale their whole lives. And guess what? They, they, They do great as well. So, you know, everyone... And to be honest, my personal view on it is that i think these things are largely stochastic i i think um that if you're gonna smoke you're gonna have more toxins you're more likely to get i'm I'm pretty practical about it. however what i would say is that people that generally don't do stuff for themselves sorry do don't do stuff for themselves they do stuff for others they often ignore signs early Mm. okay so this is one thing people who are um extremely worried about stuff will tend to have one aspect which is that they might not sleep well, their T cell function will go down, they'll have less um, immune response to weird cells, fair enough. But also, on the other side, and there is some evidence for this that's been published, they will be more likely to be the people that will jump to the doctor and ask for a scan or a biopsy. So these things even out in the end. I think there are some things which are truly sort of um, neuroimmunological, um, where worry um, can cause problems and um, or stress, a, a stress and, and and that can affect Biospheres. the immunity and can affect inflammation on the other hand you know people who are very much one with the force uh, will also be you know possibly in a much better state where they've got lower cortisol levels um in general they're sleeping and recovering better um but they might not be the kind of people that will bother people as much and so if there is something that's just happened as a result of bad luck they might not sort of uh, you know sort of bang on the door of their doctor saying what the hell's this lump um (laughs) so in answer to your question i think it's a big old mess (laughs) and it's and and that is why it's kind of in in most circumstances down to chance. All of those things sort of end up being spread around, the good and the bad and the ugly. Um, so, probably, presumably,
0: there is an element of putting chance on your side, best you can.
1: Yeah, I, I think. So, I think the, I think the fundamental thing, um, if you want to do well for yourself, is if talking about like your your the state of mind. Um, is funnily enough to be in a good state of mind enough to sleep really well. I, I I think that when I was at medical school, we got about half an hour's teaching on what sleep was, and yet we spend a third of our lives doing it. I okay. think now, now with our sort of, un, I mean, have, uh, Matthew Walker's written this wonderful book that's now a super top still. bestseller. You know what? Funny, I, I I was browsing around on Amazon, and now there are several books about a guide to matthew walker's how to sleep there are books on the book already and this has only just come out i would recommend people read it because you know not so much the headspace on its own but in fact what it does to this fundamental part of your life um that is by the way another thing that you know we see all high performing people do they can either cope with a little bit of sleep or they protect their sleep meticulously and um Yeah, I I think that that is a really, really highly connected part of how your head is working during the day, is how your head works at night, how your body
0: works at night, and how it repairs itself. Your words would rhyme beautifully with my professor of sleep at Yale. I was lucky enough to take four courses of sleep in the 80s at Yale. And uh, we talked about the FSRs and the VFSRs back in those days, because it was such a rare topic. These were famous sleeper searches and very famous sleeper searches like Bill DeVent. So I'm, I'm 100% in favor of that, and I've been trying to get um, um, Walker on, on my podcast. Hopefully, if you're listening, come, come and talk to me. Yes. Um, so listen, just uh, while we can, Jack, um, talk about your uh, – you do a lot of things. You have you were founded a Centrion, and also, I, I have to bring it up, Weird and Wonderful – building bridges across life sciences and creative arts. So it strikes me very clearly that you are cross-disciplinary in pretty much everything you do. And, and in business, when you're doing AI or trying to do a new project, it also is so necessary to have a multidisciplinary team, usually not sociologists necessarily in business, but although I think there's a place for that. So with you working with so many different disciplines – how do you go about making that successful when you have so many different mm. expertises in front of you?
1: Well, the greatest <coughs> advice I I, um, I never took uh, was to focus. Um, and I'm inherently cross-disciplinary and I can't um, focus on only one thing um, because that's not where I flourish. And I think there's a very... There's not enough mentoring, coaching or training in this area, but I think the kind of... Um, Interested in lots of things, able to absorb lots of things and become a kind of a joiner of nodes, uh, whether that's, a, you know, between groups of people or disciplines um, in order to attack a problem like, you know, cancer research. Um, we We don't have people like me don't have mentors per se um, because there's not that many successful people who who do too much and it really is about doing too much but balancing it so for me uh, the greatest success that I've seen is in joining dots um, and it's where it's where I, I do my best work um, so the two sort of things that I've seen that are incredibly important to join together is the creative even artistic thinking that comes from engineering and the arts, um, together with the kind of discipline uh, that we have in in science and medicine. And for me, you know, if you're going to tackle really, really hard problems like currently untreatable cancers, glioblastomas, late stage anything, pancreatic, um, if you're going to tackle things like the diseases of aging, these complex systems problems that and there's never one thing that you can focus on, because there's always 50 other things that are interacting with that, you have to take a, an interdisciplinary view of it. Uh, at very least, you have to take a multi, multi-disciplinary collaborative view of it, even if it's not sort of cross-disciplinary, bringing in arts into it, for instance. But um, in order to attack those problems, um, my view is that you can't just take the Credible people who have established themselves as incredibly um, uh, focused researchers, pioneers of their particular one-focused area. You, those those are what I call the credible people. If you're going to tackle these problems, you have to also hire in, incredible people. Non non credible, incredible. Is that the same? Uh, but those people tend not to have spent forty years becoming a professor in one area they they have skirted around a number of subjects and they are dot joiners um and that's that's what i generally uh, see myself as as having a little in, i mean obviously i've got quite a lot of subject area domain knowledge in uh, in in my area of medicine but the ability to draw in to that um Uh, ideas from science computer science engineering uh, and even the way to communicate those things through the arts and and communication um, type approaches it it, it requires you know those kinds of mixtures of skills in my view uh, to crack really really hard problems
0: all right so that's in the composition what about as in the setup when you're founding it you're bringing the people in and you're creating spaces for the opportunity to correct, connect the dots. What kind of orientation do you give, or do you have, when you're trying to allow for this group of disparate expertises to concoct the solution that we're ultimately looking for?
1: I mean, apart from sending people off to Burning Man or something, which, by the way, I haven't been to, but I've been told horrifying. it might might be a good idea one day. We should, uh, we should actually. That might be dangerous. Um, but um, the, the 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 way I do it is is really uh, um, just by the way I live, which is you know dinners, for instance, where you know you're joining these people together, and and actually you don't sort of plan it, but more you kind of roll the dice so with ridiculous. the right kind of people, and 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 this is why you know some of this stuff really. If it's planned, it suddenly becomes uh, functional and then it kind of loses its spirit. But at the same time, I think you can build a bit of discipline into it. For instance, you know, if you own if you if you try if you try too hard to isolate yourself amongst people that are doing all the same thing and reinforcing your brilliance, but also your biases, then you end up uh, producing excellent focused stuff. But it might not be utterly groundbreaking. The real groundbreaking stuff is the sort of the, the Da Vincian approach of uh, purposefully mixing up different disciplines. Um, but that does just in general require a bit of serendipity because you can't physically, you know, merge, um, uh, you know, the Royal College of Music and and uh, and, and the Royal Academy of Arts with with, with DeepMind. it, right. it, it you, you you can. This is. I mean, this is why we we, we created this little fun thing called weird and wonderful which is this loose collective of, of folk in science that believe that um the the arts are very important to them whether it's photography or the fact that they're you know really brilliant speakers or storytellers um and and it's those kinds of people that i think you need to add into the mix it does not mean that you shouldn't have your deep subject matter experts but you shouldn't isolate anybody you should try as best you can to create environments in your work in your startups where you have oddballs who are all jamming together.
0: Well it reminds me of the books in the late 19th century which were considered thought experiments which include H.G. Wells on the sci-fi level but Turgenev as well who was looking at how medicine could work out through a novel. I want to get to the last question though Jack because time is what it is. Um, you are at the cutting edge of a lot of things including in medicine but also tech which technologies um, are you most excited about today i
1: well can i give you one very very quick general one and one kind of very specific one that i think uh, so i I think in general the ability to more and more cheaply um, understand what is going on without invasively needing to um, do things in the body i think is you know so you call these like liquid biopsies or molecular profiling th- these kinds of in general this kind of understanding what's going on perhaps even in an individual cell or small number of cells without having to go and find those cells and and pick them i just i i, f- I find that really phenomenal it's almost like remote sensing mm. I, so, so all of the technology that is Not so much the things that are for us to be able to do that, but do that with high accessibility really cheaply for the world. So it's not just for billionaires, but for the billions, as my as my phrase goes. But that that's so so that's something which I'm very excited about. Uh, And why? Because I, I genuinely think that if you can catch stuff early, you can you can cure it. Um, and we weren 't able to do that um before, so that in general is is the is is fantastic and that 's so due to testing one of them it is but that 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 fundamentally is down to compute power it's it 's to do with um how we analyze information and how we can fabricate the um the chip technologies to um, to, to make those things possible. So so to that in general, and, and, and very specifically, and it also relates to that a little bit because it's about looking inside your body. I've most recently been fascinated about how uh, a, a growing in global infrastructure of um, ever cheaper magnetic resonance imaging machines, um, which have been able to, you know, I mean, Nobel Prize winning stuff and everything, um, how MRI machines um, with their limitations uh, can it can be turned into things which are even more powerful than we ever expected uh just by tweaking um the the molecules that we that we uh squeeze inside our veins for instance glucose there's a there's a whole thing which i would recommend people look up uh, because it will become the standard of cancer um imaging in future called hyperpolarized mri it is utterly fascinating and it's 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 a it's a true 10x thing in fact it's a 10,000x thing to be able to increase the resolution of a standard MRI scanner a hundred thousand times by polarizing molecules inside glucose, which you squeeze into your body, which is completely non toxic, is something which is utterly extraordinary. We will, for the first time, be able to see whether cancer treatment is working literally cell by cell the next day, uh, rather than wait for six months and, you know, sort of like twiddle our thumbs in the meantime that stuff is is utterly fascinating it's an example of things that don't require a new infrastructure it requires a magical tweak
0: so i'm understanding that the mri machines themselves are not that changed they are functioning now with different elements within them and the other thing i I hear about mris of course is also the ability to send the results to be cheaply reviewed does that contribute to that element of being able to analyses by different radiographers around the world does that contribute to this well, that's
1: actually one of the things i started a few years ago um which was can we help radiologists see things and learn more about what those things are they see on an mri and say is it really worth sticking a needle in that thing where 97 percent of the time it comes back normal and um uh, and so using uh, machine vision uh, computer vision to be able to take those images whether the traditional ones or new ones that we we're, were talking about before with hyperpolarized MRI um, the use of machine learning to help uh, radiologists uh, see things they otherwise wouldn't is is real magic that is happening today
0: it sounds like spam <clears throat> 97% of all emails are ending up in the spam bucket but um so Jack uh, I'll put all of that into the show notes with your help how can someone follow you what's the best way to get in touch with you or track down everything you're doing because it's um, exciting
1: um, Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm often popping up at, at, at various uh, conferences that very kindly. Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, I mean, it's uh, so so uh, it, it's lovely to be able to be invited to that. So there's a few things on Google and so on uh, that you can can look at as far as you know. um, and, and podcasts as well I, I think just Google Google me and uh, and, and stuff will pop up um, I think if anyone's in town and they want to come for a little tour of the Centre for Health and Human Performance uh, you're very very welcome to we're very friendly it's not like a scary medical place it's a lot of fun um, and uh, yeah you know there's uh, the, always happy to have a coffee or end up uh, or end up doing a podcast with <laughs> with folks so yeah um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty easy to find me
0: I'll put your uh, contact details the best ones in the show notes great to have you on the show Jack thank you so much for everything you're doing really appreciate it thank you thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com if you enjoyed the show please like the handy Facebook button or better yet head over to iTunes to give a rating and review but first relax to Joss Sax's Paint.
2: Oh film me with all your Yo! Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast and now available on YouTube.